Welcome everyone to the Every Other Thursday podcast, where in each episode we bring you suggestions for improving the guest dining experience and our industry roundtable, where we tackle the industry issues of the moment. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 30-minute presentation featuring our industry experts who are never shy about offering up their thoughts and ideas. Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. Tabletop Journal, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places in the world of hospitality tabletop. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Every Other Thursday. I'm Dave, of course, and I'm your host here at Every Other Thursday. And as I always am, I'm here with my great colleagues, Jay Alley and Greg Kirish. Hey, guys, how are you all doing this week? Very good. What's up? Wunderbar, wunderbar, he says. Here on Every Other Thursday, our podcast, we give you our thoughts and opinions, the major topics of the day, and all around the world of food service and hospitality. And there's nothing else going on in food service and hospitality other than the big reopening, guys. So that's what we're going to talk about today is what is the world going to look like in this big reopening? But we've got to get some business out of the way first. And as everybody knows by now, every other Thursday is our 30 Minutes or So podcast where we take on the world of hospitality and food service. We give you our expert thoughts and opinions. And like every other episode, this week's episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by Tabletop Journal, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality, tabletop. Okay, gentlemen, the race has started for reopening. Everybody's in a state of flux. Every state in the 50 United States is in some stage. They're all different. They all have different rules and regulations. They're changing about every 90 seconds or so. How is an operator going to look through this reopening. And if you've got a feel for places outside the United States, I want to talk about not only how they're going to look, restaurants in total, both here in the U.S. and abroad, but also what are restaurants going to do to entice their guests back inside their restaurants? Greg, you've been kicking this around and researching a lot of good stuff. You had a prescient idea to put uh, cardboard cutouts. And I see three-star Michelin, Patrick uh, O'Connell, he, he took you up on it. He went one better than you. He put a mannequin in the seat. Is that how restaurants are going to look with mannequins and cutouts? Well, it could be, and maybe it should be. I guess, you know, we, we had touched on this in our last episode. And- we certainly did. And, I, and I, I said I didn't want to sit beside cutouts, and I certainly don't want to sit beside a, uh, a mannequin, a whole room full of mannequins. Well, again, patrons, guests, don't go to restaurants just for sustenance. They go there for the ambiance, for being with other people, the community, the good spirits. And so they don't want to go. Nobody wants to go into a restaurant that has, you know, every other table is, is empty and there's, you know, plexiglass walls between everybody. and Hold that thought on plexiglass because I, I think we could do a whole podcast on that. I want to come back around to plexiglass. Bulletproof glass is really more what I'd like to call it, but that's okay. Transparent subject. Transparent subject. Yeah, there you go. Go ahead. So there's a couple of different angles to this. One is, yes, you want people to be safe. You want the patrons to be safe. You want the guests to be safe and your staff to be safe. But then how do you do that and deliver the nice ambiance 
that everybody would be is really looking for. And it was it was kind of tongue in cheek, but I, I, it turns out to be a great idea to put mannequins or the, or foam board cutouts in the empty seats. I mean, it's a fun tongue in cheek type of thing. But beyond that, we talk about the empty tables. You could put vases with flowers or flower arrangements or cutouts on those tables. How to soften the blow. There's a lot of opportunities there, I think. I think the Inn at Little Washington did that bullshit scam about mannequins in those seats just so they could get on TV. And they did. They sure. Whoever came up with that idea, it was free media for them. And I think that's that publicity is great. Not that they need it. Everybody knows the Inland Washington is a fabulous restaurant. But just to get back on TV and let people know that they're still here, they're open, you get down there, and that they're a little bit fun and having some good laughs down there. I can't believe and if I went to the Inn at Little Washington tonight, there would be mannequins sitting in that dining room. I just don't believe that. Well, I think we should go. Field trip. <laughs> Field trip. There you go. There you go. I mean, what else are they going to do? And, and the other thing is, do we really think that servers in, in the food service business, are they going to be wearing masks and gloves for very long? Is that really going to hold up? I, I think on that subject, that to me is the least offensive thing. I mean, I think we, you know, we've been in this long enough now where the masks are almost a commonplace. Now you're starting to see designer things with messages on them and all of those things. I mean, they're going to make them fun, more comfortable. I don't think that that's going to be an issue. I, it, I think it's simply going to be tied to how long will it go. Is, you know, the, the, there's new stuff coming out now where they can test you and get a result in a minute or two. They're talking about getting they're much farther down the road on a vaccine. Okay. If I'm a server. If I'm a server, how often do I have to change my gloves and my mask? According to some regulations, after every trip to the table. I know. So so next thing you know, I'm, I'm changing my mask. I'm changing my gloves. I'm throwing this out. I don't know. It seems all crazy to me. Well, I got up here so long. I went to, went to uh, Sam's Club, and, and, and they needed some rubber gloves because they clean in the house all the time. The house is antiseptic. But he bought a 1,000 food service gloves. <laughs> he bought a case of them, and it was inexpensive. But they're really pretty cool. I mean, they're easy to get on. They don't fit like the plastic doctor gloves like they're going to perform an operation. So those, I mean, they're cheap. I mean, you could change those after every serving. I don't know if you need to change it after every serving. I think at the end of the day, it's going to really boil down to the general housekeeping of the restaurant. That's that's number one. Because I I think, honestly, in our past lives, some people did a great job of, of keeping places sanitary. Some people did a not so great job. And I think today, going forward, that's going to get immeasurably better so you know if you're doing if you're doing the, the separation if you're doing the mask you're wearing the gloves you're washing your hands i think the restaurants will put sanitizers in the bathrooms all around the place they'll have them in the kitchen they'll have them at the bar i just think that alone i think will have a dramatic effect on stuff but i think the biggest thing that scares me is watching fools in florida or in new york the other night standing around outside of a restaurant there must have been 40 people standing and almost none of them had a mask on they were all they all had them draped down around their neck so if people do that kind of crazy stuff then it's game on i mean then you're gonna have a problem but i think guys and gals that practice the good simple stuff i don't think it's going to be crazy all right let's get over to the bulletproof glass how long are we going to have to eat behind bulletproof glass well i don't think you're going to have to eat behind bulletproof glass i really don't there's a hell of a lot of companies out there pushing it right now I haven't seen any fine dining restaurant yet on TV where they're showing bulletproof. I mean, I'm sure there's some out there, but I mean, I haven't. Have you seen any, Greg, where they got them up other than that barbecue place? Sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
you know, I don't know. And you, everybody's seen the articles with the, the little mini greenhouses you're going to eat in on the docks on the canals in Amsterdam. <laughs> Come on. Wait till it gets the temperature gets up to about 80 degrees. They'll be like cooking inside those places. <laughs> well, a lot of it remains to be seen. I, and I, I mean, I don't think any of us adore that idea. But I think that what In It Little Washington did, I think you'll see a lot of creative stuff like that going on. And maybe it's just that overall decors might change. But I don't I don't think it's going to be that bad. I think I think there's so much pent-up demand to get out. And if, if, if people go out of their way to be polite and they... Okay, what's the over and under on the Bulletproof class going away? Three months, four months, two months, weeks? As soon as there's a vaccine, it's over. <laughs> It's it's hard, it's hard to sit here and predict because we it's, we got to watch as now things loosen up. What's going to happen to the infection and to the infection rates? If they spike, then this whole thing about the plexiglass is going to go on much farther into the future. If they remain fairly flat, this, we can you can see this thing taking its course and or running its course and uh, and ending sometime in the in, in in the foreseeable future. August first is my date. Most of the plexiglass is gone. Okay, so three of us own the restaurant that sat 125 people, so we cut it down to 75, and so maybe we cut it down to 50 for a seating. I mean, the first thing that I would do, I'd tastefully decorate 10 tables maybe that had that plexiglass deal, and then I'd set the rest of the dining room up with the properly separated tables for the proper social distancing guideline and see what happened. If, if maybe there's some people. I mean, we got a guy we play golf with on Thursdays. We're outside on a freaking golf course. This guy, his, his golf game's gone right in the toilet because he's he wears the mask as he's playing. The world has gone insane. Yeah, I mean, stats tell you outdoors. I mean, I I walked up next to my. I went to do something because the ball washes on out and all that. And I happen to be like within three feet of me. He says, "I, I don't get so close to me." It's like, dude, go home. You know, get, put your clothes in your car and get out of here. You're, you know, you're crazy. I just want to know. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I can do with used bulletproof glass because there's going to be a lot of it available. Oh yeah, throw it in. A lot of it available. Throw it away. Mildly used, but not abused. I can say it like that. I think you might be shocked. I, I, it'll be interesting to see what we what we see. How much of that crops itself up? I don't know. We'll, we'll see. What other kooky things are restaurants having going to have to do? What are they going to look like in the, over the next coming weeks? Because we're all opening up in different different time frames. What other kinds of kooky ideas are we going to find out there? What about flatware? We're going to have to sterilize flatware every two seconds uh, before they get to the thing. They got to come in hermetically sealed bags. Bare minimum, they're going to clean it and bag it. You know, and then, you know, we've been talking about other situations that may be, may be uh, coming to fruition. But but that I don't find that offensive. I mean, how many times have we eaten in a fine dining restaurant where you had you send your fork or your knife back because it was fingerprints all over it? Mm-hmm. You know. The other day in our other podcast, Seat Yourself, we talked about uh, different product categories coming back online. And to me, as we begin to open up really quickly, I think you're going to see an, an, even another big push on disposables. But that's not going to be that's not going to be long lived, except for the takeaway and carryout portion. I think people are going to discover operators are going to discover how expensive disposable using disposables, or if if you try to use it for the entire restaurant, I don't think it's going to work for expense standpoint and from uh, storage. You know, who's, where are you going to put this stuff? Plus, who says the disposable product is safer? Agree. I mean, I don't know, but most most styrofoam and stuff that I see is a hell of a lot more porous than a fine piece of stainless steel or a fine piece of fine china. 
But I do think I do think there's going to be a big push. The first place you're going to go because it's easy. And I mean, hey, listen, restaurateurs are fighting, but the, they're fighting the big battles. They're fighting with landlords. They're fighting with their uh, shopping center that they're in or the building that they're in. Because if if you can't get the rent right, and by the way, I want to come back to that in a minute because it's going to be a commercial real estate issue. I think in about August or September, but if you can't, if you're an operator, or a restaurateur, and you can't get the physical building right in terms of the cost, you're never going to be able to make money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a place that I tried to get Sandy to go this morning, but she she says I don't I don't want to go. It's too early. I may go in the next day or two. But there's a place up by on 83 called Round the Clock Diner. My guess is it's the highest volume restaurant in this whole area, other than some of the. Uh, banquet kind of places in Lancaster. They were open 24 hours a day. They opened up. I'm not sure how it happened because supposedly they weren't supposed to. I don't know. But they opened up on the weekend and you couldn't get in the parking lot. Yeah. And so Sandy said, well, I wonder where all the people are waiting for their meals. I said, there's nobody waiting for the meals. They're all sitting down in a restaurant. So I'm curious to go and have a cup of coffee at the bar because they have a place where you can eat at the, at the counter. And see what's going on in there. Does he have the table separated? They just wear, you know, the servers wearing masks. I don't know. I want to go check it out, but I'm going to tell you, you couldn't get near it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, and that, and that's back to the point I was making before. I think that we're going to get. There's a strong likelihood we're going to get down the road. 30, 45, 60 days, and people are just going to say to hell with everything. I'm going to go eat, you know, because I probably have. Uh, I'm immune because I've got antibodies already. I've been exposed to it. Whatever. And especially, especially if I'm under the age of like, let's say 45, 50 years old, if I'm under, if I'm younger than that, what the, what the, hell, what the hell is going on with all this uh, coronavirus stuff? Well, no doubt about it. You know, there's a lot of uh, a whipsawing going on and a lot of reaction where people are, you know, operators are just trying to, they're reacting, they're trying to get ahead of the curve and maybe not thinking through what's going to be going on three months, four months, five months, six months down the road. So they're just, ju- everybody's just jumping in with these things, you know, and, and I think that a lot of them are, um, it's questionable as to just how effective they are. And like you're saying, and, and, and how long they're going to live. I don't want to be callous about all this. Listen, if you've got a problem, if you have some sort of uh underlying condition that that might make you more susceptible than others if you've got a fire truck running by your house like mr greg seems to have all the time if if you have all this stuff going on in your life no don't go out to to your diner jay in in york and, and eat because you might get something and put yourself in a bad position but you know and i know for a lot of times in my life i thought i was bulletproof and yeah yeah everybody else gets sick that isn't going to be me so I would do it. Yeah, you can't be crazy. I, I think people are going to be, I, I think you're going to get some of the crazy stuff, but like, you know, I think most people are going to be, you know, you've got to take your mask off to eat. You can't eat through a mask. But look at what happened in Wisconsin. And I don't think all those people I saw on TV were crazy. When the governor, I think it was, his orders got rescinded. They could just, people could open and there were everything I saw, no mask, lots of people, no distancing of any, the distancing was how close could I get to that pretty girl at that bar? Yeah, that's, that's, you know, unfortunately our society has got a lot of crazy people in it, but you got, I think that's not acceptable and owners, a smart owner won't allow that to happen in his restaurant or her restaurant. I know an operator that that has an operation there and in Milwaukee and his take on it, well, this is a couple of days ago, just when it all first hit, is that he actually appreciated more when the when the state 
had official protocols because the, when they were taken away by the Wisconsin Supreme Court, all of a sudden there was a free-for-all. So he said that, okay, if I totally open up my operation, I got 50% of my uh, patrons not liking me. And then if I keep the operation closed, I got the other 50% not liking me. And he says, what do I, you know, what, do, what do I do? What's the middle ground? And so, uh, and I don't know, I haven't seen him since, but uh, where, where, he, where he landed, I understand it's, it's just not, it's not easy. Well, I think it's a couple of things. Number one, I think, yes, people cerebrally understand that. And again, things are different in different places. If you're in the New York metro area, that's a whole different ballgame, it seems like. And even there, though, if you stop and think about that, even there, the majority of the people that had a severe problem or even a, a fatal problem with this virus were in nursing homes or in senior, they were uh, above a certain age. And I don't really think that's the demographic that's going out in bars in Manhattan. Well, we think that that's the unknown. We don't know how many of these tragedies have, have been reported as a death by the coronavirus that that maybe either wasn't or so there's a lot of unknown stuff about it and they don't and, and whether we've all been contaminated and we're immune now from it who knows uh, a lot of people have been infected probably had you're right nobody knows and until there's a lot more testing nobody's really going to know but here's the thing i do know is that there's a lot of frustration and pent up i got to get out of my house i got to go make a living i want to earn money i'm tired of sitting around and i want to go i want to go to the beach I want, I want to go wherever I want to go, and I'm tired. Virus fatigue, whatever you want to call it. So I know that that's going Listen, we're going to take a break right now, and when we come back from our break, I want to talk about where we're going to be in July, August, and September with this stuff because I really think we're going to be in a lot different place than we're being led to believe right now. So when we come back, we'll have more of the shenanigans here, and hopefully Greg will get that fire truck away from the front of his house now. Be right back with more of Every Other Thursday. This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag TabletopMatters, Tabletop Journal has connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of Hospitality Tabletop. Now, back to our podcast. Hey, everybody. We're back here again with Every Other Thursday. I'm Dave. I've got Greg and Jay with me today, as always. And we're going into segment number two here. And guys, before we took a break, I talked about, I want to get an idea from you all what you think the landscape and the restaurant business is going to look like let's say along about August, September, maybe late July-ish, after everybody's been on to the beaches and all that, what's the restaurant industry going to look like then? Are we still going to have bulletproof glass and everybody wearing masks when they sit down uh, in, in restaurants? What do you think? I think, well, as, as I said earlier, I think yes, if we have a massive spike, but if it's fairly close to flat, or and certainly if it's in decline, I think people, got, people there's going to be momentum to go back to normal. When you say spike, are you talking about spikes 
in fatalities, your spikes of infections. In I think the fatalities is the number that everybody really, nobody, I don't think that anybody really knows now what the infection rate is. You see it, it's all over the place. But I think that the fatality rate is the number that everybody seems to be uh, locked into. The state of Georgia has been open now, what, for two, three weeks, four weeks, whatever it's been. And uh, as I recall hearing that there has not been the spike that everybody predicted they would have. And great, you know. They've had some where one day was up a little bit more than the other, and, and then the next two were down. I mean, I just think that that's the normal progression. But I think you're also going to see the numbers go up because of much more aggressive testing and more accurate testing, and which is a good thing. So, again, I think that, you know, psychologically that the – Infection rate isn't what is driving a lot of the reactions from operators. I think it's the death rate. And if that fatality rate stays flat or declines, I think that we're going to, things will be moving much faster than normal. Yeah. And I think when they start to get a better handle on how these death rates have been reported, and I mean, we're seeing now in New York, they're saying it was like over 80% of the deaths took place in the nursing homes. You know, that that's scary stuff. So, I don't think we're seeing, I think we're getting a lot better. I think the media is reporting a lot more accurate information in the news cycles. But it's like we were talking on the break. I mean, I think at the end of the day, we all have to be a little responsible. And so we go to that thing in New York where you got all of these boneheads hanging around in front of an operator's restaurant, a takeout place, and they're, they're literally sitting on top of one another. I mean, it's ridiculous. Why that operator didn't call the police and have them come in and straighten that out a little bit? Because if you're that irresponsible, no, we will have a problem. And there, I mean, I played golf the other day, and first of all, they only let so many people on the golf course, so many carts. And the at the after we were having a couple beers, some guys brought beer, and we were talking to the owner, and we were all making sure we were apart, and we were talking about what he's been experiencing. He's had people who are driving by his golf course and see people in the parking lot calling nine one one, saying there's people in that location that are not. So that you get those kind of foolish people are as crazy as the people that are. So where, where is the line where if I go up to, if I've got a restaurant, where do I cross the line? If I go up to my reservation at a restaurant and I see somebody standing outside waiting for their reservation without a mask, where do I cross the line there? Do I call the police immediately? Do I speak to the restaurant? Because I mean, what's going on with that? That's crazy. Yeah. If you're a responsible owner, it's your responsibility to, uh, you know, just like some nightclubs have door people that take the names on the list and, or take the cover charges. I think that some places, if they, if the people can't handle it themselves, then they're going to have to have someone outside that's going to say, look, if you want to stay and eat at the restaurant, you please, you have to help us out here. And I think sane people understand that. People who would go nuts and try to cause a huge issue about stuff like that, you probably don't want them in your restaurant anyway. But in, in many cases, or in most cases, it's not the operator's call. It's, you know, it's what the uh, municipal and state government is calling. So the, so the operator, it's not up to them to think, well, should I do this or should I do that? It's like, okay, what are the, what are the rules? But what, what we mentioned, I guess, an episode or two ago, we saw the rules that came out, I think it was in Tennessee. And, the one, and our discussion is like, oh my gosh, how can you follow all, all these? I guess, you know. Yeah, the pages of stuff, that was, that was off the meter. That's a real point. And I, I think that number one, 
you've got a lot of fatigue out there on the, on the virus, not only just on the consumer side, but also on the operator side too. Sure. They've been beat to death. They lost money. They want to make money. They want to get opened up. These rules and these protocols, whatever, from a national standpoint, from a local standpoint, from a, even a community standpoint, are changing so fast and so rapidly, they have trouble keeping up. And so, yes, there's some nuances in here and there, and everybody uses good common sense. But I just think that at some point people just say, and when I don't know where, and I'm I'm saying it's going to be early August. By then, I think people are just going to say, "Hey, let's I, that's it. We're, we're just going to go, and we're going to use our common sense. And if you want to have the uh, social distancing police come in and cause a ruckus, okay, but." We're going to let people in and we're going to the six feet apart on the tables. Pretty soon it's four feet. Pretty soon it's three feet. And I got to get a couple more chairs in there. Yeah. Can I bring it? If I've got a party of four, can I add a fifth chair to it? No, I can't. What are you talking about? It's my family. I think those are real pragmatic kind of practical issues. Yeah, I agree with that. And again, all things in moderation, I guess, is part of it, too. I don't know. I mean, look, this the six foot thing, if you if you can't. You're going to tell me at a bar, I got to stand six feet away from the person standing next to me at the bar? That's probably not going to work. Well, I've seen a lot of shots of bars where they've got the stools. I don't think they're six feet away, but they're sure at least four. So I don't know if anybody's going to go in with a tape measure. I think a couple of cocktails, that four becomes two, becomes one, becomes I'm, I'm hugging and kissing her. Here's the hard cold truth. The hard cold truth is nobody's going to make any money for the rest of this year, I don't think. And, and and if you can mitigate your losses to the point where you can stay open until we move into 2021, that's probably the best you can hope for. So if you try to rush this thing, and to Greg's point, if everybody gets crazy and things start spiking, then, then we could all be at risk because this is, I mean, this, this we shut the society down. We're all going to be on welfare. Multimillionaires like you two guys, but me, I'll be, I'll be, in, I'll be in the bread line. I want to go in a slightly different direction. I know everybody's talking about outdoor dining. And is it very long before we start seeing streets closed by municipalities so restaurants can take over part of the streets in front of their restaurants so they can have dining, diners out there at tables? I don't think that'll happen first. I think parking lots that they own will get adjusted because one of our guys is doing it already. You see that happening in Chicago at all, Greg? Well, we're probably more of a lockdown state than a lot of the others. So I don't see, there's not much happening here right now. Really? In, in, yeah. What are people saying though? Do they want to go out? Do the consumers yeah. want to go out? The answer is yes, you're right. It was this fatigue that is, is set, that is set in and not knowing, okay, what is the light at the end of the tunnel? Do we, you know, when are we going to get out of this? And so because there is, because I think that if people like knew a date, we obviously don't, or had a target, they could live through this and feel a lot better about it. But it's like, you know, it's just it's just going on and on. And so people are, you know, starting to react to it. And is all this talk of possible vaccines by the end of the year, is all that helping or hurting? I think it's helping to show some, if it's legitimate, and it seems like people are being a little more responsible on what they report. But if it's legitimate, that's a big deal. But I think Hey, if it doesn't happen by December, it happens in January, February, you're still way ahead of the game. I mean, I think people, I mean, you, beginning of your two years, oh, it'll be at least two years before we even have come close to even finding one. That's not what they're saying now. Well, I don't know if it's, you know, if people are putting just false hopes out there or not, but, the, you know, I think that kind of the attitude is, oh, science will be able to solve this, you know, so I want to start living my life again here. And whether or not there is really a, a solution on the horizon or not, 
Well, some of it, some of it, the reality of it is, is look at the numbers. The numbers are still not as deadly as drugs. It's still not as deadly as drunken driving, probably, and still not as deadly as the flu worldwide. So there's some realities to that. And I think some of this is, is people have been whipped up by some other stuff. I mean, I'm listening to someone the other day. Well, you could sneeze and it goes 12 feet and it could hang in the air for, for, for 15, 20 minutes. Are you kidding me? I mean, if that's the case, you might as well get a full body condom and never leave your bathroom. Just stay there. You know, I mean, you, some of this doesn't make sense. I mean, I, you know, now you're walking in a park and someone blows their nose and you got to, you know, oh my God, something could be in the air for 15 minutes. And oh, geez. I mean, hey, look, I. So back to the original question, I opened the segment up with what is the restaurant business going to look like in July, August, September timeframe? How are we going to look then? Still going to have lots of plexiglass, bulletproof glass, whatever. Still going to have lots of masks. Still going to have rubber gloves around. Going to have disposable menus and everything else. I think at that time, it'll, it'll still be in that same mode. But about that time is going to be when we, we hopefully can see the direction things will take. That might be the inflection point. I think it's going to take a little bit longer. If the National Restaurant Association is correct in 30%, of the restaurants have already closed permanently. What's any particular given community going to look like? Is there going to be you know a lot less restaurants open? Is there going to be? I think there's going to be less. I don't think anybody can really, people can guess. I mean, you can tell me that 40% are going to close and never come back. And then you can tell me that Outback's opening up 352 new restaurants in the next 12, 13, 14 months. So I don't know. I don't know. The takeout business is booming. The ones that have done it right, I think to Greg's point a couple episodes ago, I mean, think about it. How many operators didn't even make an effort? Maybe they didn't want to. That's another issue. But some of the takeout stuff that's going on around here, I mean, the takeout business is booming. And I think that that might not ever go away. That might be a segment of people's business that they have to reevaluate and say, you know what? Maybe we have to re-engineer how we think about food service out of our fine dining restaurant and, and, and have cocktails to go fine dining meals to go. And I think that a lot of really fundamental things have, have occurred. You know, like all of a sudden, a lot of consumers found out that they can cook or they relearned how to cook. And so the knee-jerk reaction would have been in the past, let's just order takeout or, or go out. All of a sudden, people are, you know, are cooking more. They're certainly baking more. And so there's, there's some real changes taking place. Now, there's going to be, there, without a doubt, there's going to be a big void out there. Because a lot of these restaurants just aren't going to exist anymore. But the nature abhors a vacuum. And we'll see a lot of those filling back in in time. But I do predict that the type of operation is going to become much simpler. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, John Mariani, a well-known food critic, writer, and in Forbes magazine this past week, he had the analogy that not only, or made the statement, first of all, that not only does he believe that restaurants, uh, the restaurant industry obviously is going to survive, but it's going to thrive even more than ever after a while when it will be as we truly come out of this. And he, his example was Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, where he claimed that there were 900 something restaurants in the city of New Orleans before Katrina and now they're before uh, COVID-19 hit, they were something in the range of 13, 1400 restaurants in, in there. So it had grown quite a bit. Did you see that happening? Number one, you guys see that happening. And number two, if it does happen, what is the restaurant going to look like that comes back and takes the place of the ones who are gone? Is it going to be, you know, grab and go? Is it going to be fast, casual, sit down? Where do you all see this going? 
Well, you know, as uh, there's a lot, like we, I mentioned, there's lots of uh, fundamentals changing. You know, if people are going to be working, you know, one of the reasons people were actually claimed or felt that they had to go to restaurants more is because of the time aspects. They were, you know, and now all of a sudden, if people are going to be working at home, there's, you know, less commuter time. They have more time to do this, you know, cooking and tasks. So that, is there an, as much of a need for restaurants? On the other hand, people like, if they're working at home, they want to be with other people. So that maybe then the restaurant becomes more of an outlet. I see it, perhaps the, the future of the restaurants is, to, is kind of like the British pub where it's the social center of, of the community, that type of operation, fast, casual, high quality, very low key, friendly, all-inclusive type of type of. Yeah, one thing we never talked about too is what's going to happen with the food truck business. I think it's going to explode. I think the food truck thing is going to be bigger than ever in the next five years. Why so? Because you think about it. I mean, with all the malls that you've got that have closed down, right? Suppose you had, nine or 10 gourmet food trucks, all with a different flair in a parking lot. Think about that. I mean, social distancing would be no problem. Food trucks, easy probably to keep clean. I mean, I think there's a real upside to that business. As a matter of fact, Mr. Softy might want to, be, that might come back with a vengeance too on the, on, the, on the ice cream side. But I think food, the food truck business is going to get, I mean, how is it out where you live, Greg? Is it, is it a big issue out there? Food trucks? Well, Chicago has been one of the laggard cities in the country, you know, because of all these regulations and Chicago politics being what it is, food trucks have really not been an issue of force here or presence here in, in the Chicago area. Like, like you know, out, like, for example, out in Los Angeles or out in uh, Seattle, it just, it just has not been here. And I, I feel it's a shame. And that could cover several episodes about Chicago politics and the way we do things here. But having said that, I think that I agree in other parts of the country. I think that uh, food truck certainly could uh, fill a void. Right where we are up in Westport, where, where we are by the water, um, inland about 10 miles is a pretty good sized parking lot. I forget there was a house on it or I forget what the whole There's three, in some cases, four tr food, food trucks that are permanent there. These food trucks don't go anywhere. Yeah. That's Portland. That's Portland, Oregon. They just plugged in. They stay. They yeah. They have food trucks, but they're stationary. Yeah, they open limited hours. But I mean, think about it for a second. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I'm sure somebody does it now. But suppose we're at the Turner Ranch down in Maryland here, and we've been invited to a, a party of 25 or 30 people. You live on a cul-de-sac, and you say, well, maybe we ought to have two options. Let's call Jose, who's got the Mexican food truck, and somebody else who has the Oriental food truck, and say, well, we're throwing a party. Would you mind parking? and taking care of our group for an hour or two. Why wouldn't somebody do that? Why wouldn't they advertise that? I mean, that could be fantastic. And you think sanitation and uh, health and uh, health uh, safety and all that, that's not a concern? That's not going to be a concern for food trucks? Well, think about it. I mean, the only thing you got to worry about are the three or four people in the food truck. You don't have to worry about all kinds of people, servers running in and out of a kitchen. That's a pretty controlled environment. I mean, they should. They, those things should be inspected pretty rigorously. I mean, it's an easier environment to keep clean, really. It probably gets dirty quicker or lettuce on the floor and stuff like that. But I'm sure every day they clean those things up pretty darn good and, or, or they should be. So I think taking care of the vehicle is not a big issue. But think about the opportunity. By the way, I can, I, I, for a minute there, I can almost hear all the permanent tabletop people's hearts stopping when we're all this conversation about food trucks. So, 
Let me just uh, shift gears a little bit and we can finish up here in this episode with permanent tableware. Where are we going? Because our listener base is, is wide and it's uh, there's a wide variety of people in different uh, segments listening. But we also know one of those big segments is permanent tabletop people. What is the future, for instance, Jay, of glassware and uh, of permanent glassware and dinnerware and, and flatware? You know, I think it's always going to be there. I think that the, for the next year or two, we don't know what's going to happen in the finer dining restaurants, but mid-level to, to fine dining. But, you know, I mean, there's always going to be a need for that. How much of that will, what what will the level be? God, I can't tell you. I have, at this point in time, I think to Greg's point, when we get closer to the end of this year, we'll have a much better handle on what we think 2021 is going to look like. To my point earlier that I think that one of the big winners in, in, in this, as we move forward, is going to be, this kind of, for lack of a better term, British pub kind of atmosphere, kind of focus, fast, casual. And I think that as far as tabletop goes, that quality of the tabletop will certainly make a difference on who's going to win in that hole. Oh, absolutely. It could become more important than ever. Everybody, wine just tastes better out of a nice glass than it does out of a plastic cup. It just does. All right, I'll send you the $5. Scott, I promise to mail it. (laughs) And there's just something nice about a cutlery, the flatware that just feels heavy in your hand. And I don't know if if all the guests uh, realize that, but it's just one of those subconscious things that makes a difference. Very subliminal. Yep. Yes. And when we move forward with the plexiglass and the masks, tabletop makes a difference. You know, it matters. Somebody said that once. Tabletop matters. The tabletop matters. I think that's what I want to talk about when we come back in two weeks is I want us all to be thinking about this mad scramble I think is going to happen for if I'm a tabletop supplier, it's going to be a mad scramble for me to get make sure I get my share of what is going to become an incredibly shrinking pie. My share of market, that market is going to get a lot smaller due to closures in restaurants. Now, maybe a year or two from now, there'll be many more openings and then whatever. But in the near term, that pie is going to shrink dramatically. And how do I make sure as a permanent tableware supplier, I get my share of it? That's going to be a great, that's going to be a great episode. Yep. And just in parting, one last thing. So I left, I left everybody with the foam board cutouts last time. This time I'd say that, you know, we're talking about all this uh, impersonal, often unattractive plexiglass partitions. There's, you know, there's other ways to partition off a room. You could decorate that, those partitions, you could brand them, you can put color on them, fabric on them. I think there's going to be some, there should be some creative ways to make this more, as long as we have to live with it for the time being, more, more personable and friendly. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the things that we should do, I, I completely agree. And I think one of the things we should do is we should somehow try to really, really keep our eyes on Las Vegas because I think it's going to be a big indicator of what different segments of dining, gathering, et cetera, et cetera, how that's all going to develop. And I, and I'm not, I was probably had them dead and buried a week or two ago, but I'm not so sure about burying the buffet guys anymore. That's going to change big time, but I, I don't think they're going to disappear as like we think they will. I think that the, the people in Vegas will figure out a way to be able to serve food safely to, People who want to walk through a line and take. Well, one thing I know is that we're fortunate enough to all work in the most resilient business I've ever seen, most resilient industry you could imagine, the restaurant, the hospitality industry. And secondly, 
Second part of that is we work with some of the most creative people ever. And the majority of those creative people come right out of the Las Vegas market. There's no more creative a marketplace than Las Vegas. So now I'm not going to roll over. If the problem is going to get solved, it's going to get solved in Las Vegas. Yep. They'll find a way. And having said that about the, you know, your point about the buffets, I don't know if they were that big of a problem to begin with regarding, you know, it was just, it was really a knee jerk reaction to, to cut them all, to cut them all out. Some of them were like the ones that have the, the tower of chocolate where you got kids sticking their hands and stuff. And, they, you know, when sneeze cards were this high, but I think, I think that that might be an easier fix than we all even realize. I hope so. The other thing I want to talk about in our, in our next episode, Greg, is I wanted to go back through one of the things that we haven't done for a while is talk about your small ideas, your little ideas for improving the guest experience. And I think it really is going to, if the restaurant business is truly going to come back, and I believe it will, and it'll come back strong, it's going to be built around that great guest experience. And I know you had some great ideas where everything from growlers to cloches and some others uh, about ways to improve that guest experience. I want to take a quick review of some of the things that we brought forward in, the, in those episodes as well. Looking forward to it. All right, guys, any last thoughts before we go? What's up? I think you want more bulletproof glass, Jay. That's what I'm thinking. After this one, I need a drink. <laughs> hey, and, and in the next time, in the next episode, I want to talk about the, the the fist fight at Red Lobster in York, Pennsylvania. Oh, jeez, I can't believe that. There should have been bulletproof glass there. Stop it! You're picking on my little town. <laughs> All, right. All right, guys. Hey, listen. I want to thank everybody for joining us today. You guys, uh, you got your homework to do to get ready for the next episode. We'll see everybody in two weeks. Right back here with every other Thursday. Thanks for joining us. This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than eight years, Tabletop Journal has been raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. Using the hashtag TabletopMatters, Tabletop Journal has connected the kindred spirits of the hospitality world all around the globe. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places all in the world of hospitality tabletop. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, everyotherthursdaypodcast.com.